Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowski. Well, guys, tonight we are continuing our look through the Northwestern schedule. Um, we're actually doing a little two for tonight. Uh, we're doing both Indiana State and Duke, um, mainly because there's just not a ton to talk about about Indiana State, but we'll get into them uh, in just a little bit. Uh, before we get started, uh, we are currently in the middle of our t-shirt uh, campaign fundraiser for the Evanston Community Foundation. Um, John, do you want to tell tell us a little bit more about uh, about these shirts and where we can find them? Yeah, so we've we're we're off to a great start with the fundraiser. We dropped it last Friday. Um, you've all seen the theming at this point. Uh, come with us if you want to win. Um, there's that. There's a video that we dropped on Friday that we were teasing all throughout the week. Hopefully, you guys have gotten a chance to see it. If if not, check it out. It's on Twitter. Um, you know, we've got it always pinned there. You can check it out. It's it's pretty great. Uh, we think you guys will really get a lot out of it, get you fired up for the season. You've seen the t-shirts. They're available in black. They're available in purple. Um, we have You can either get the unisex shirt or there are women's shirts available, although I think the full run of sizes I think is only available in black right now. But um, yeah, and we think we've got a great design that we hope people are fired up about. I think the response has been strong so far. And we want to keep it going because we really want to you know, use this as an opportunity to make as much money um, for a great charity as we possibly can. So, um, you know, if, if you guys are out there, you've listened to the pod, you guys know, again, we don't fundraise, we never have, um, we don't sell merchandise, anything like this. Um, we just do this because we love it. We love that a lot of you are big fans of the pod. And um, if you are big fans of the pod, if you are regular listeners and you haven't purchased uh, a t-shirt yet to support a great charity, we'd, we'd love it if you did. So um, go to our Twitter page, go to our website, um, check it out and uh, get yourself a great shirt. You could also yeah, go to bit.ly slash WLP t-shirt. I believe the WLP has to be capitalized. Bitly is a little weird about their capitalization. Oh, but, really? Oh, yeah. shoot. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, well, nah, whatever. <laughs> I think I think it'll be all right. If, uh, yeah. there'll be, there's links on our website, westlawpirates.com, uh, bit.ly slash WLP t-shirt, uh, WLP all in caps, um, and also on our Twitter page. So there's... An, if you're having trouble, reach out to us. We'll 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 send you in the right direction. And yeah, just to, just to pile on briefly, um, I thought I'd mention the uh, so the theming is obviously um, built off of, of the original Terminator movie. We had some, you know, John had a lot of fun with the video, but we had we had one listener that kind of gave us some grief about like it being a really old movie. I just want to I want to pipe in and mention I saw it twice on my cable guide this weekend. That the Terminator <laughs> was playing, so like. Let's let's go, people. But I, like the the bigger thing here is, in addition to supporting the charity, like this is a great way that y'all can help us spread the word about the podcast and uh, and just you know help help rep and support us, not financially, but you know wearing our name on on your backs um, helps get our our name out amongst the Northwestern fan base, you know, um, and that's uh, that's a great thing. Bring more, bring more people to uh, to the fun that we like to have here. Yeah. So the the fundraiser is goes through uh, July 28th, which I believe is a week from um, this coming Wednesday as we're recording right now. So um, yeah, so let's make this uh, a great week and hopefully a bunch of you will take the opportunity to jump in and uh, let's raise some money for a great cause. 
Yeah, we, we've had great response so far. Thank you to everyone who's who's already purchased shirts. Um, you know, they they are moving quickly, so you know, be sure to to jump in before uh, we sell out because we definitely want to make sure that everyone everyone gets a shirt who wants one. Um, and yeah, like the shirt the campaign goes through the twenty eighth, so uh, time is limited. Make sure you uh, jump in on that and uh, love to see as many of these uh, Terminator Westlaw Pirate shirts out on the tailgate lot as we possibly can. Um, thank you to everyone who's already bought and uh, look forward to selling a whole bunch more. So with that said, let us talk about the Indiana State Sycamores. I think um, I think when we talk, bef- you know, when we're deciding which of these two schools to start with first, let's start with the school that has by far the best basketball player. I think we should go with Indiana State. <laughs> <sighs> Quality over quantity, right? That's right. So Indiana State, I mean, they're FCS. They didn't play last year. We don't know a ton about them. And, I, and John, does it matter? I, I don't know. So it, you, you make a good point, right? Because this is certainly a first for the pod. With, I mean – let us not say that we do not go the extra mile for for all of you, all of you listeners, right? Because we're attempting to preview an FCS football team that won't have played a game in 650 days when it lines up against Northwestern this coming year. Um, digging into those 2019 Missouri Valley Conference uh, statistics, because Indiana State was one of the only Missouri Valley Conference teams to opt out of the 2020 season completely. So in my case, pegging their defense in 2021 means looking at these 2019 stats and trying to make some sense of them, take something out of it. Um, And it also means making sense of which players who would have played last year stayed for a fifth or in some cases a sixth year at Indiana State. So the biggest thing defensively, and I'm not going to go long on this, but the biggest thing is probably this. Indiana State loses its two best defensive players from that team that went 5-7 and seven in 2019. Clayton Glasgow and Jonas Griffith combined for 192 tackles, 22.5 tackles for loss, and 8 sacks as linebackers. Both of them were NFL prospects. And Griffith kind of even had a cup of coffee with the 49ers. Like, he's still kind of sniffing around the NFL. So losing these guys obviously doesn't bode well for the Sycamores. But it really doesn't bode well for them because team production that year kind of ran counter to what you might expect based on the two guys I just mentioned. So in other words, Indiana State had a great pass defense and a bad run defense in 2019. The run defense wasn't horrible, um, and Indiana State did have the number five overall defense in the Missouri Valley Conference, but losing your best front seven guys by far behind a defensive line that really didn't help much at all does not bode well for them in 2021. So in addition, Glasgow and Griffith provided a huge share of Indiana State's sacks. And there was no other major contributor in that category. <clears throat> the Sycamores do still return several capable cover men. And they have a couple of sixth-year seniors on the line in Caleb Brewer and Anoke Moala, who combined for 20-plus tackles for loss combined in 2019. But let's be honest, like defensively, this all falls squarely in the let's-not-overthink-it category. This defense lacked depth and talent up front in the Missouri Valley Conference. 
and couldn't turn two borderline NFL linebackers into a decent run D at the FCS level. And that was two years ago. So honestly, like defensively, these dudes are just going to be happy to be on the field and they're going to get manhandled by the trench cats. And like, Evan Hall's probably going to go for 150. So <laughs> there, there you go. That's that's what I've got. <laughs> uh, Scuzz, offensively, anything to write home about? Yeah, actually, there's some interesting stuff here. So the offense was not great in 2019, um, but it's also important to remember that they had some really bad injuries and Indiana State in 2018 actually finished in the top 25 in FCS. So like... Now I realize I'm going back like 900 days, but like it's, it's not that far of a stretch that this was an okay program. Um, in that 2019 year, their returning quarterback was injured on the first series of the very first game and missed the rest of the season. So that really put him in a hole. Uh, into that hole stepped redshirt sophomore Curtis Wilderman, who had he had played a tiny little bit in 2018, but was you know brand new as a starter, really young as a QB. Uh, you know, did all right throughout the year. He had a couple of tough games against the type of teams you would think that a new QB would, would struggle with. Um, Northern Iowa, Illinois State, South Dakota. Uh, those were all, I, I, think, I think against South Dakota, they lost like 38 nothing. Um, he was pretty rough in those games. But when you look at the schedule uh, and you look at the year, his accuracy and his interception rate both improved in the back half. I think he, he, tapped, he, he tapped out at like 68% completion for the, for the season. Um, and now he's a senior leading this Indiana State team. Uh, he's had a couple of 2021 draft profiles done in, on him, um, in part because he's considered just extremely intelligent as a quarterback. So while he might be limited physically compared to other QBs that NU is going to see this year, I don't think we can take him lightly. I guarantee at some point in this game, all of you NU fans are going to be tearing your hair out because Wilderman will start hooking up with um, their standout receiver, Dante Hendricks. That's another kind of like decent player on offense. He's a big frame wide receiver. This is the sort of player NU's had trouble with in the past. Like they're going to start like making connections. Maybe they're going to get something over the top, score a long touchdown and whatnot. We're all going to be looking at each other going like, what the heck is going on here? But like these guys are talented. Things should play out the way we want without, within the game. Uh, but if, if NU takes these guys lightly, they're going to be in a hole. They're going to have to play catch up. I mean, it remains to be seen what Jim O'Neill's style will be. You know, if we're going to see those soft coverages uh, like Hankowicz ran all the time, or if we're going to see more of like an NFL style of trying to mix things up early on, it's just, it's going to be interesting. But at some point in the game, Wilderman and Hendricks are going to make all of us feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, of course, our secondary is up to the task of covering the, this guy and, and disrupting this, but all it takes is the right double move at the right time or a little mismatch in coverage. A smart senior QB with a really good number one receiver can get you, and they will probably get Northwestern at some point. That being said, where you absolutely know that Northwestern will have a clear advantage in this game is that defensive line. If that group comes to play, we should have no difficulty uh, containing Indiana State's run game, and especially making Wilderman feel uncomfortable. He averaged minus one yard per carry last uh, in 2019, and that's, that's across 53 attempts. The offensive line gave up 27 sacks in total that year. So you know that a, like they're not a great offensive line. B, Wilderman is not fleet of foot, and he's not really the type of, of QB who can extend plays in the pocket. Ideally, O'Neill can spin up some really confusing coverages in the secondary in the first half, let the defensive line run wild. If done right with what you heard from John regarding um, you know, the, the, the defensive front for Indiana State, like 
Northwestern should be able to control the game on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And uh, that will make the second half of this game very easy on our collective cardiovascular systems. It's going to be really interesting. I suppose like the one thing specifically you mentioned, O'Neal, it's going to be interesting to see. You know he's got a million pressure packages, right? Mm-hmm. And the question is, how much of that is he going to sit on? Because I'm, you know, obviously we have Indiana State right off the top. But, I mean, we have Michigan State right off the top. But chances are Indiana State is not going to be seeing the full the full defensive game plan from Jim O'Neill. So to your point, I would, I would guess that at least to an extent, um, we're going to be showing them a little bit more of a vanilla scheme. And if that kid can get some sort of rhythm, um, but again, it's like, that's, I, I I would like, I I agree. I imagine, I imagine we're not going to see a lot of pressure packages against, against Indiana state. I mean, frankly, we should be able to get to Wilderman, right. You know, three or four or whatever it is. I, like what I'm, I'm inferring a little bit. And obviously, we haven't done our Northwestern preview, but you think about O'Neill coaching secondary in the NFL, like so much more complexity in terms of handoffs and playing, you know, zone on one side of the field and man on the other, and just like really interesting, complex coverages. You've heard Brandon Joseph talk a couple times in this offseason about like the level that, that O'Neill has already brought to the secondary and it's helping them expand their games. And I just like, I wonder if that's where, where you could see some, some interesting stuff in this game, like pressure packages, probably not, but, but interesting back, like on the back end, maybe. I, it's funny, like, right. Cause on the flip side, one thing that I'd say is pretty clear about O'Neill, when you look at what he's going to be trying to do and then where we are right now, you could just look at the linebackers alone and be like, they're like Northwestern's probably trying to get like eight linebackers on the field in this game. Um, yeah, like, so true. we're like the like, so in that sense, it there, especially if you know we handle our business and get up early in this game, there are so many guys that we want to kick the tires on in this game. Like, you know, everyone from Khaled Jones to Michael Jancy and all the way on down, even Mac Eline, like, you know, like these. Like, there are a lot of guys who they're going to probably try to be getting out and figuring out exactly where these guys fit in the game. So, hopefully, let's let's furiously knock wood that we quickly progress to that point in this game. Yeah, I was going to say, so this being said, you know, we, we're talking about Illinois or Indiana State, and let's not forget Illinois State. I was about let's to not say, forget like New you, you kind of, like, I twitched, this is a game that I twitched we a little lose. Lay, yeah. We do lose this game. I, I twitched. When you mentioned Illinois I, State, I, there, I'm still kind of recovering. Um. <laughs> I say it every year. I I hate the FCS game. Like I think it's all risk and no reward. Um, I would much rather play Bowling Green. I just, like. Ugh, I would yuck. say yeah. I guess my big thing is like <clears throat> on the ground, we should just mow this team down running the ball, and hopefully that that puts this game, relatively speaking, to bed early on. And then, like you said, like we've got so many guys. I mean, this is, you know, the deepest Northwestern team potentially Northwestern's ever had. And like, yeah. hopefully, the second half you're getting a lot of those guys out on the field. So yeah, hopefully. And and again, there is there really is this aspect of like Indiana State is just going to be happy to play to be playing football at all. Like these guys are to an extent just happy to be there. A lot of these guys have waited two full years to just be able to play, so they're just going to be happy to be on the field. Yeah, they're well, going to be those of you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, they're going to be coming off a week one game against Eastern Illinois. So they, you know, it's not going to be their first game. 
But obviously, first game on the road, game against an FBS opponent. Um, you know, it's definitely you know big time for them. You know, Big Ten Network. Adam sure. Adam Cushing going to soften them up a little bit for us. I'm not holding my breath, but uh... <laughs> I just like. For those of you that are thinking, like, guys, what are you talking about? This is an FCS squad. Of course, Northwestern's going to stomp them. Like, you, you, you must be a brand new Northwestern student. Then, welcome to your freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> My point is that our our, our perspective and it's going to take me at least a couple more years to get over this. Is baked in the McMacaulayan approach to offense, which in many times against these lesser opponents, boiled down to we're not running the ball well enough. We will run the ball directly forward until we start gaining four yards per carry. And if that doesn't happen, we will risk losing the game in this kind of like stubborn fashion. Um, we've talked about it a lot. We we did not get to see Mike Bajakian against a non-conference foe last year outside of the, the bowl game against Auburn. So this is this is going to be Bajakian's first um, opportunity. And I like I can't but help but think like m- much like O'Neal wants to you know, explore and his, his linebackers, like you think Majakian wants to, to, to take the, the depth of the wide receiver core for a spin in this game or the depth of the running back core for a spin in this game. I may mean, have to think that he's going to be going for, I want to, I want to see as many players as possible. And to do that, I got to be up by 21 points after the first quarter. Amen. Yes. From your lips to Mike Bajakian's ears. Let's make that happen. <laughs> Let's go. Had, had not considered that possibility. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It's definitely uh, uh, okay. So, to think about. all right. So In now let's, let's run through the Indiana State schedule. Now let's go through the Missouri Valley. <laughs> <laughs> they play Eastern Illinois. Then they play us. After that, who cares? Doesn't matter. Yeah, no, nobody cares. <laughs> um, so then the following week, uh, Northwestern will be hitting the road, heading down to Durham, North Carolina. To take on Duke, um, you know, we've seen a lot of Duke uh, in recent years. Just as far as you know, we, we got a, a nice little back and forth going on with them. They last were bad. Time we played in last time we played in Durham, it did not go well, if I recall. No, no, I, I believe that's correct. But um, you know, they, they were bad last year. They were two and nine. They were five and seven the year before. Uh, you know, they are ways away from them playing in the uh, ACC championship game a few years back, and. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, John, let's talk about that D. It's funny. Before I get into the defense, it is funny because we have this history with Duke that goes back far enough. It's like, if you want to remember, and and I suppose we're dating ourselves a little bit with this, but if you want to remember how far Northwestern's come as a program, if you're part of the generation old enough to remember when we all huddled over our computers watching that god-awful online feed of that one game we were playing in Duke... uh because it was the only option to watch the game. They're like, there was no televised broadcast of the game and you had to watch the online feed and it was just an absolute disaster. Um, I believe that, and I mean, as that seems like a million years ago, but it might've only been two trips to Durham back, three trips to well, Durham back. Um, funny you should mention that. Here's the thing. This game's going to be on the ACC network. If you don't get the ACC network, you might be SOL. Yeah, that's, Ew. Yeah, that's true. Oh, God. Well, hopefully they get that worked out. Um, but but in any case, I think what it all underscores, at least from the purposes of where I'm going to go here, is we've played Duke a lot of times. Um, in fact, the first game I ever saw Northwestern play uh, was against Duke, uh, our freshman year, guys, and it did not go well. But 
we've given as good as we've gotten historically. We've played Duke, uh, you know, a million times. So because we have this long non-con history with the Blue Devils, we've we even on the even over the duration of this pod have previewed Duke a bunch of times, and because of that, we've been made aware of several periods of time where defensively this Duke four two five package that they run has yielded some real success. Um, to the point that earlier this year, when we were talking about Indiana in our previews, we even compared the Indiana defense to some of those great Duke defensive teams of the past. You know who couldn't even stand in the same room defensively last year as Indiana? Duke. (laughs) (laughs) The defensive glory days that I just talked about with that Duke 425 are long gone in Durham. So say hello to the worst D in the ACC. We may never get to say this again, but thanks to Notre Dame, Duke finished 15th in the ACC in both scoring defense and rush defense. So, Scuzz is going to provide plenty of reasons why Duke's 2-9 and nine season last year wasn't all the fault of the defense, but let's just say that the D really did its share of earning the solid nine losses on that schedule. So the big problem getting into it with the team last year was that the personnel did not match the goals of the team at all. But Duke was basically forced to conform to the guys who were clearly the most talented players. So ends Victor Demukaje and Chris Rumpf accounted for 24 tackles for loss and 15 and a half sacks, by far the largest portions of both categories for Duke. So those numbers sound great, and they are great. But here's the problem. Both of those guys are basically built like 3-4 outside linebackers, and they were playing ends in a 4-2-5 defense, where beef really matters up front. So compounding that was the fact that Duke played a defensive tackle last year, Ben Fry, who weighs 255 pounds. Now remember, the Blue Devils only play two linebackers because this is a 4-2-5. And last year, one of them, Dorian Mousy, weighed 210 pounds. Are you getting the picture here? Duke was absolutely manhandled up front last year. So they had their usual collection of hard-hitting safeties that Duke always has. Um, And Duke's best returning player, linebacker Shaka Hayward is a big, rangy linebacker who's in that perfect Duke mold. And, you know, we talked about Michael McFadden at Indiana, kind of the same kind of thing. Shaka Hayward kind of fits that mold. But none of that mattered most of the time because any team with any kind of offensive line just plowed over Duke. So what does this mean for 2021? Well, Demuka J and Rumpf are both in the NFL now. And I'm not exactly sure what that means because those two guys were simultaneously the best players on the team and horrible fits on the Duke line. So Duke plans to move Fry from defensive tackle outside to end where he won't even be a large end. Um, And they will no doubt attempt to plug a little more beef into the middle. But keep in mind, 
if this team had line depth, they would have used it last year. And Demukaje and Rumpf would have just been strictly passing situation players. And despite the lack of talent, Duke is still losing a bunch of veteran players from the front four. So this is going to be an untested, green, at best, marginally talented group up there. So, yikes. Um, Duke returns Hayward and Mousy at linebacker, which is definitely something, particularly on passing downs. But Duke, which again, 4-2-5, this is a team that relies on safeties a ton, is basically turning over the whole group back there. So the Blue Devils are putting a ton of faith in Michigan transfer safety Jameric Woods, who played sparingly for the Blue Devils last year after transferring in in 2020 because he wasn't going to play for a Michigan defense that ended up totally sucking last year. So I wouldn't exactly call this guy a hero in waiting. Duke returns both corners, including the excellent Jeremiah Lewis, who has good size, had two picks, and 10 pass breakups last year. Um, But who cares? Would you throw on this team? (laughs) Um, So we're getting the Blue Devils at the exact right time. Because Northwestern has never had this much potential on the O-line. And honestly... Man Bear Pete and the boys are just going to feast in this matchup. Um, And I forecast potentially a major day for Cam Porter on the ground in this game. Let's discuss offensively. I mean, David Cutcliffe is known as an offensive guru. um, But is there anything in the cupboard for him to work with there? There there is. There's some interesting stuff here. Like... It starts with that the Blue Devil offense was horrific in 2020. Like, horrific, horrific. Um, I guarantee that they get better in 2021, much like Northwestern going from 2019 to 2020. Better enough to matter, we'll see. Uh, last year, they had 39 turnovers, the most in all of college football. That number has to come down. It's just like, it's not possible to be the worst at that two years in a row, I think. Um, ironically, given the uh, comp I just made to Northwestern in 2019, it was Clemson transfer Chase Bryce at the helm of said offense, throwing 15 picks and losing six fumbles. Now Bryce is gone to Appalachian State, and most of the squad is back. Uh, But the Cats, much like Indiana State, should be able to exploit Duke's O-line and uh, match up effectively with the talent they have at the other skill positions. So we'll start with their strength. Duke's receivers are going to be a handful. They did not put up big numbers last year because of the the QB issues, um, but they return almost all of last year's production, minus the tight end. And there is definitely potential with this group. Their leading receiver was Jake Bobo, uh, son of Mike Bobo. Really interesting connection there to um, the offensive coordinator that sidelined Ryan Holinsky at South Carolina. Um, hmm, Just put that in your back pocket for, for a little bit. Uh, but he's six foot five. He wasn't a huge recruit, but I, like think Ben Skoranek. Like like this guy is going to get some 50-50 balls. He's got the size to do it. He had, you know, had some big plays last year. He's going to be a challenge to cover. Uh, Jalen Calhoun it was their second leading receiver last year. He's super shifty. He's pretty fast. He played high school quarterback. He had a Penn State offer coming out of uh, coming out of high school. Um, he's you know slot guy right, that somebody's got to keep up with. And then Eli Pankol is. Um, 
just kind of like your prototypical, like really good receiver. Uh, he's six foot three, 200 pounds. Yeah. He's plenty fast Had offers from Purdue, Iowa, Cincinnati, the type of receiver that Northwestern is used to seeing in the big 10. Um, so like this group as the starters, pretty interesting. Just, just there. Uh, I mentioned the tight end is gone. They're replacing that tight end with their top recruit from 2017, Jake Morwedi, who picked Duke over Alabama, among others. He's a he's a top flight tight end. Uh, and then there's a bunch of interesting depth. Nothing that like really stands out worth noting, but this receiver group, both in the starters and in the depth, has a ton of diversity and flexibility in the in the types of size and, and guys that you see. I mean, that's just. It's the, that's the best way to build your receiver core, right? Is to have a bunch of different guys can do a bunch of different things. You can create matchups with that, especially with a, with a head coach like, uh, like Cutcliffe, you can create matchups with that. Of course, the quarterback position has to improve to be able to make good on that. But, um, if they can get better play, uh, from the QB, this wide receiver core and, and, and tight ends included are going to be pretty tough on opposing defenses. Um, the running back position very shallow, but it looks really good at the top. Uh, Mateo Durant will be one of the top running backs in the ACC if he can stay healthy. He had a great year last year. He averaged almost seven yards per carry, 800 yards, eight TDs, and he did not just run wild against cupcakes. He had really good games against Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Florida State, North Carolina, and Boston College. And he averaged nine yards per catch out of the backfield too. He only caught like 12 balls, but still, like he's going to be the feature back this year. He, he, he split time with Deion Jackson last year, who's gone he's almost certainly going to be the Kickstarter for their offense. I think everything goes through Durant uh, for Duke next year, and it's going to be critical out of the gate for Northwestern to, Northwestern to contain him. Potentially making it easier to contain him will be the offensive line. Uh, their OC calls it the deepest O-line in a long time, but um, I'm not sure that that's true, and I'm not sure that that's saying very much. It should be better than last year, at least. Uh, they have... Technically, four returning starters, so they get Jake Wollabow back. Uh, he was a, he's a he's their top-rated offensive lineman. He's a senior. Um, he's their center. He missed last season, uh, but they get him back. They get both starting guards back as well. Those guys are sophomores, and then uh, buckle up for this: two extremely young offensive tackles. Now, both have played. Uh, Graham played like six games last year at center. And Galat played in like ten games last year at at tackle in a, in both of them in backup duty, um, but they're new starters. One of them has not played tackle before, and they're going to have a very inexperienced quarterback. Joe Spivak should be licking his chops. <laughs> um, I, I should mention the center was originally an Ohio State recruit. Um, between him and one of the two guards, like beyond that, there's like zero from from a talent perspective in terms of you know recruiting rankings, etc. Um, their top recruit this year is an offensive lineman. They got a couple transfers, including one from Pitt. So like maybe there's some good depth there, but I just, in general, I think this group is going to struggle to control the line of scrimmage. A lot like you heard John talking about the defensive line, right? And they're going to be especially susceptible to edge rushers. So who's excited to be Duke's quarterback? Uh, there's actually, (laughs) there's, there's a stunning amount of interesting talent in the room, just zero experience. So I think it's probably not going to go very well in 2021. So first up is Gunnar Holmberg. Uh, He played sparingly last year. He completed 18 of 25 passes, but two of his seven misses were interceptions. Uh, Supposedly, he's pretty athletic with his legs. He did very little on the ground last year. That maybe speaks to last year's offensive line problems. Um, But he, uh, I I think he's probably going to get the first crack. You know, I 
I don't think it's going to last. We'll get to that later. Um, also, ex- also playing extremely briefly last year was the next great soap opera hope, Luca Diamant. Uh, his older bl- brother Alex, if you recall, was a, uh, a backup at, at uh, Indiana for four years. Um, screamed Moxie at every at every opportunity. Uh, Luca does as well, but he's definitely more talented than his older brother. The joke here is their dad was a was a soap opera star. Um, maybe their mom as well. But anyways, um, then also in this quarterback room is Gavin Spurrier. Yes, the grandson of that Spurrier. Um, it'd be extremely unlikely for him to play. However, but uh, but he, just, like just there, you've got like some really interesting interesting guys in the room. My money is on true freshman Riley Leonard. So Leonard was a true dual threat QB, uh, one of the top recruits coming to Duke this season. He had offers from Syracuse, Nebraska, Vandy, and Old Miss. Uh, he played basketball in high school and and well enough to get some mid major D one offers. And I think. Like as a result, and this is not a basketball joke about Duke. Like legitimately, I think he just looks the part of pack, past Duke QBs like Daniel Jones, etc. Guys that were you know big in the pocket. He's six four, but you know have the athleticism and speed um, to do some damage with their legs. Like that's the type of player that David Cutcliffe really likes or has liked at Duke, I should say. Uh, Leonard is super smart. Uh, like I said, he's he's really athletic, not just fast. I bet that he's going to be installed as the starter after a few games, unless unless Gunnar Holmberg makes a huge jump from last year. But wh- whoever is the starter, they have to be quicker on their feet because the young tackles are not going to be able to hold the edge for very long, and teams know that they can't let that wide receiver core run wild, so they're going to be coming after the QB. If any of these guys, particularly Leonard, can uh, extend plays and be smart with their eyes downfield, I think there are the, some playmakers to give this offensive hope. But I think the results are likely to be extremely inconsistent in 2021, and teams with a good D-line that can shut down Durant are going to be in really good position to to shutter Duke. So, I mean, we can run through their schedule. Again, after they play us, I mean, they're fully into the ACC. But they do start off the season at Charlotte, a team that they was one of their two wins last year. Uh, then... They're home for North Carolina A and T before uh, we come into town on September. 18th. Oh wow! They get they get two tune ups. Yeah. yeah, two two cupcakes, uh, and then then we come to town. Uh, but but let's let's not forget. You know, this could be a, a massive look ahead spot for them, as uh, the week after they play us, they get Kansas. Can't Kansas the week after us? Kansas the week after us. What? Wow! What what a slate! Uh, like they they could legit be three and one, uh, bef- when they hit their ACC schedule. Um, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Wake, Pitt, Vatek, Louisville, Miami. They've certainly structured their non-con schedule to try to accomplish that. Although they weren't able to to duck us, it's wild. Some of the parallels when you look at the start of our season, where like. We have Michigan State and Duke on our schedule, two teams that were absolutely horrific last year um, that are looking to fix so many different things. And it's it's funny to kind of juxtapose the two because in one hand, um, Michigan State is by no means great in the trenches. And in fact, in, you know, if you listen to our preview, incredibly mediocre on the defensive line. And you know they have potential on the offensive line, but we're kind of yeah. O line looks pretty right, pretty strong, right? There. And whereas Duke does not, right? Like Duke is just weak 
on both sides of the ball in the trenches. But with that said, I mean, it's it was really funny, because when I'm listening to you talk about um, the quarterback situation and who you think the starter's going to be, because you look at Mateo Durant's numbers from last year, and you're like, this team was so bad offensively. And his numbers seem to be really strong. And then you think... Well, he, what's crazy, though, is he got like a third of the carries, and I, or 40% of the carries. Um, it's it, like Deion Jackson was the starter early on. And I think they just, like you, you, like you look at Mateo, I mean, he, I think he rushed for 163 against Syracuse, um, put up 130 against uh, North Carolina. I want to say like, you know, only had five carries against Boston college, but averaged 11 yards per, and that was a really good defense. So I think they were just slow to get him involved and then it worked better later in the year. But, um, it's kind of criminal that like he carried the ball 120 times and Jackson carried it 160. I think well, and what's what I, I'm looking forward, right. And I'm thinking about, I mean, obviously like we all remember the Daniel Jones experience, which was not good, but I think kind of baked into, well, well good. And then not good. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. When we went there, I think the, the, because of that though, we know, and of course, cause Kukulif is such a smart coach that, you know he's gonna try to hit us in the two ways that he think he he thinks he can. Right? It's uh, RPO, quick slants, and read option. That's what he's gonna do. And to your point, Scuzz, I think the the guy you mentioned at the end, who is the fast, most athletic guy, like that's who I expect to be out there. Yeah, Riley Leonard. Yeah. And I expect that they're gonna try to just run read option and and work Durant. And you're gonna see stuff to the boundaries. I would think the UNLV game, right, and the way that we were snake bit at the beginning of that game, um, with what UNLV UNLV was able to do at that that kind of mesh point. Um, and obviously, we're like we took control of that game going, you know, going forward and, and quickly put that game out of reach um, two years ago. But I think that's what Duke's going to try to do because up the middle, like it's just not happening for them. Um, They're manhandled, and honestly, like if you look at the group. We're running, we're, you know, we're going to be trotting out, whether it's a four-man front or whether it's a three-four look or, you know, whether um, Tommy Adeware is going to be in some sort of hybrid position. Either way, um, if if you have some sort of front four that is like some, like, for example, Trevor Kent, Joe Spivak, Sam Duff Miller, and Tommy Adeware, they will just manhandle Duke's front. And Duke's going to attempt to run around that. And I think... Between that and, you know, they've, like Scott said, they've got quality receivers. Like, they're going to try to make their bones doing that. And I guess, like, that has me a little worried. But, again, that's kind of what we talked about with Indiana State. Like, the one thing, and you factor full Jalen Naylor into it too, right? Um, wait, Jalen Naylor, Michigan State's receiver? What's his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Naylor uh, from Michigan yeah. State. That's three weeks where arguably, you know, the strongest thing that the opposing team is throwing out is the wide receiver core. And that's, you know, that's a challenge that I think um, the our secondary Sky team is going to want to rise to. So um, if they get up in the face of these wideouts and are able to contain them um, and, and we can contain the run game, I mean, I just don't see they're not going to be able to do much running up the middle. So we'll see. I mean, and that. Well, this, this, this is why what you talked about with the Indiana State game is so important to me, John. And you, you talked about O'Neal going to be wanting to get all of these linebackers on the field to kind of like kick the tires on them. With a young linebacker core, like 
that's exactly what Duke is going to target with their RPO game, right? And and with their um, their read option game. I mean, like, yeah, you can read you can read the defensive end, but you can also read the outside linebacker, and you can design it to attack uh, and and stress the decision making of those younger players. And that's that that's a potential challenge for Northwestern against Duke for sure. Right, exactly, and especially with you know we're still breaking in new linebackers at this point. I think this is yep. the most dynamic offense will face up until this point in the season again though this is a unbelievably soft team okay they really are they don't have it in the trenches at all on either side of the ball and again and they're like there there are ways they can scheme around that potentially on the offensive side of the ball and that's going to be the issue on the defensive side of the ball they they can't scheme around nothing they're just gonna have to sit there and take it and I think that's ultimately if things don't come together for us defensively the way we want to early on in the game, I honestly think on the offensive side of the ball, it will make a difference because we, you know, you're going to hear this a lot from us. And certainly when we get into the Northwestern specific stuff, you know, toward the end of the summer, but um, we're just going to have a, a massive advantage here. All that being said, we have trouble playing in Durham. Yeah. That heat, humidity, et cetera, for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, like the one other upside is that, whoever's playing quarterback, this will be their very first start against a Power 5 team in their career. Oh, that is weird when you phrase it that way. Well, unless you're full... They'll have played... And, and like, Charlotte will be the most, you know, high-end team they will have have started a game against. And then they're going to play North Carolina A&T, and then they're going to have... The, the wildcat defense, which will be you know harder than anything they've ever seen in their lives. Um, I as a starter. here's the way my mind went, Scuzz. My mind went, but what if it's Andrew Marty? And then oh yeah, but that was Illinois, so you kind of have a point because that's not really a Power Five team. So no, I mean Duke's QB. Dude. Oh Duke's. Oh Duke's QB. Yeah, Duke's QB. Oh, I was like jumping forward. I was like, I was like, you must like. I was like doing a quick run through of Hunter Johnson's resume, being like, oh, okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Both Hunter and, yeah, and Halinski uh, yeah. have started yes. against plenty as, of Power 5 As teams. I run this back in my mind, it makes no sense now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, don't no, know why, Duke's QB, I don't know why I went down that road. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, this will be, you know, I, like, no shade to Charlotte, but... Um, oh, feel free to shade Charlotte. I mean, this is going to be a level of, of defense and, and a, a, a speed of player that they haven't seen before. Right. Um, I agree. And I think he's going to try to like Cutcliffe's going to try to work it to the boundaries. I think he's going to, I think that's what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to get our linebackers with misdirection. Um, and, and just try to try to work around go. It's going to be yeah. a lot of mesh point and a lot of read option and, and a lot of speed to the boundary. And if, if yeah. we shut that down, I think we just have them. Well, this is the point where we'd normally, uh, talk about their record, but again, it, doesn't really matter. I mean, after we see after we see them, they'll get Kansas, and then they'll get into the ACC. Although they they're missing Clemson, I, I, I don't think Duke's have a, I don't think Duke's gonna have a great year. Let's no. just leave it at that. that. That and and that's that's fine. Um, anything else to talk about tonight before we uh, close the door on the Sycamores and the Blue Devils? This is a this is a four p.m. game. Is that right against Duke Eastern? I believe that's right. Um, yeah, so that I mean that Durham weather. Yeah, that Durham weather is going to certainly play a big factor. I mean, hopefully, 
hopefully the cats are getting out there early to try to acclimate if possible. Um, maybe Evanston will be hot and humid, but I just, I remember, I, I do remember that being a big problem a couple of years ago that the cat, the cats felt, uh, just lethargic and dehydrated, et cetera, et cetera. I think yeah, hot, hot and steamy in mid September. I, I would, I guess the one thing I would add is that there's a through line that has started here and it's going to continue through the next couple of games where for all the talk about who will Northwestern's quarterback be, how will the quarterbacks mesh early on? How will the wide receivers mesh early on? Northwestern potentially has incredible strength on the ground, running the ball behind that line with Cam Porter and all of our early opponents feed into that. And these, these are all teams that are, that are strong in some areas, but none of them are strong at that particular place. And that potentially is going to be an advantage that is, you know, in, in the sense that like none of us have total rose covered glasses, rose colored glasses, believing that Northwestern's going to have it all figured out at the start of the year. That may be the bedrock that carries us while we, while everything else locks into place and teams like Duke and Indiana state will only help that. Yeah, it's a, it's such a great point. This is the this is the misnomer of Northwestern returns hardly any of their production because Cam Porter's production started in the second to last game, I guess in the third to last game of the year, um, if you include the bowl game. And we we know the O line is dramatically better than it's been in years past, and that like that's going to be a strength that frankly hasn't been a strength at Northwestern since Justin Jackson left. Right. And I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the that's the thing. These teams can be pushed over and and while we figure everything else out and and we deal with the other wrinkles, that will be the thing that that takes us through. All right. So we'll uh, go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Slot of Brian Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.